Welcome to Locked On NBA on a Tuesday, everybody. I'm Wes Goldberg from the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors here with the host of Locked On Heat, David Ramil. Coming up, how the Heat plan to bounce back after a blowout loss to the Bucks. Denver ties the series with Portland and what the Lakers need to do to get Anthony Davis back on track. But first, today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. You are Locked On NBA. Your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Heat get blown out by the Bucks, 132 to 98, and Milwaukee goes up 2-0 in the series. And this game was over early, David. The Bucks led 46 to 20 after the first quarter. They couldn't miss a three from, uh, from three-point range, especially Bryn Forms, who came off the bench, made four threes early on, and the rest of the Bucks followed suit. And after a close overtime loss, this is probably not what Miami anticipated happening. What do you think went wrong, David? Everything, really. I mean, that's pretty simplistic, but I think the key was finding a way to take Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo out of their comfort zone. So much of Miami's offense has been built on getting Duncan Robinson free for open looks, and Milwaukee's defense just wasn't able to do that. And then you combine Miami's roster deficiencies, which have been a glaring problem for the team all season long, and they just don't really have an answer for Milwaukee's size and length, uh, their ability to guard the paint keeps Miami's offense from ever getting to any kind of comfortable flow. And then if they don't have the kind of quality three-point shooting that they did last season, there's no way of responding. They just can't put up enough points to match Milwaukee's prolific offense. And that's been the biggest issue during the first two games of the series. Miami played game one much more closely like they would want it to. They slowed the pace down. They weren't able – they were – weren't allowing Milwaukee to get into a comfortable fast paced rhythm. They were able to keep their three point shooting down at a historically low rate. Milwaukee only shot 16% in game one. Clearly that wasn't going to be sustainable on either team. And so I, you see the result tonight when Milwaukee is shooting as well as they did all season long, they were the fourth best shooting team from three point range during the regular season. Miami just doesn't seem to have any kind of answer for what Milwaukee can do. Yeah, this was a huge overcorrection, right, from Milwaukee. They, they made six threes in the first game, 22 here in, the, in game number two. Uh, and for Miami, look, I, th- I think you might point to, well, they just made a whole bunch of shots, and it got away from them. And Spo and Jimmy Butler and Bam kind of said that in the postgame press conference, talking about how, you know, Milwaukee just got out to a fast start, and they never were able to punch back. But I kind of look at what the Bucks did in that game to limit Miami, and I'd have concerns If I were the Heat, after Duncan Robinson went off in game one, uh, they denied him the ball. They had Drew Holiday on him early on. They denied him the ball. Duncan Robinson, after shooting, what was it, 15 threes in the first game? He just he took just six tonight, two for six uh, from three point range on the night. They had Giannis on Jimmy Butler, their main drive and kick guy, right? The guy who initiates so much of their offense. So you put Giannis on Jimmy Butler, just stonewalling uh, Butler before he can get into the paint and make things happen. You got Drew Holiday just flatly denying Duncan Robinson the basketball, and you get a Miami Heat team that took 53 pointers in an overtime game one to just taking eight, 28, well below their season average, David, 28 here in game two. That to me was of a major concern. The other thing was the fact that the Bucks got 12 more field goal attempts on a night where they shot 49% overall and 42% from three point range. That's very not good. And it's because of the 21 offensive rebounds that we saw from them. Uh, you just can't do that, right? If you're the Heat, if you're giving up that many, if you're if the Bucks are shooting that way and you're giving up that many extra possessions, you're going to lose. I don't care what you do on offense. 
Yeah, all good points. I mean, Miami only turned the ball over 11 times, but it just felt like they never really had the possession for all, all that long. I, I wonder if there's a way, I don't even really know, to be honest with you, if there's a, a measurement for how long Miami actually had the ball in their possession, because it felt like they rarely ever did. It felt like my, Milwaukee was constantly on the offensive end, able to score, able to keep the ball alive in their favor, able to just generate extra possessions where they're rebounding. Milwaukee uh, just completely dominating Miami on that end. And then to, you know, you're, you're expecting Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo, mostly Jimmy, to be able to just take it up a notch and be able to dominate the way he did in the NBA Finals. That just hasn't been the case. You have to credit Milwaukee's defense for doing a really good job of limiting Jimmy. And as you said, stonewalling him from getting him downhill where he can either get to the rim and finish at a high level or at least draw a foul, slow the pace down, and kind of restore the balance in Miami's favor. That just hasn't been the case in the two games so far. And I really thought that Eric Spolstra was going to be able to make the necessary adjustments after game one to kind of respond because we knew they had a great opportunity in game one. They were in Milwaukee. Again, they kept Milwaukee down to a historically low shooting percentage. And you figure that was their best opportunity of stealing a win there and that you knew that Milwaukee was going to bounce back, that they had to be able to at least make a strong push in game two to establish some real dominance over this team. And I thought Spo would make some adjustments early on, but he looked a little lost out there. I mean, I, you and I both are pretty supportive of everything Eric Spolster has done, but he just didn't seem like he was adjusting very quickly when Milwaukee was building that big lead early on. He just kept his guys out there. Didn't really seem to make any changes. I expect that some will happen in game three because they'll probably, I mean, he has to do something at this point because yeah. they just haven't been able to find a way to respond to Milwaukee. You mentioned Jimmy Butler there in the series, 13 and a half points per game, 25% shooting overall. He's a minus 42 through the first two games of the series. That's not good, right? I don't care That's what not. adjustments if you're, it, that you make if you're Spo. If Jimmy Butler's not playing well, it was interesting that him and Bam both talked about having to choose their spots, pick their spots better after the game. And this is where, and look, we've talked about this before on, on, on lockdown heat, uh, you know, earlier this week, I went on with you and we talked about this, but um the, the fact that Bam needs to be more aggressive, I think is definitely something that needs to happen, right? Just 5 of 11 overall tonight in 29 minutes. You can't just take 11 shots if you're Bam. Same thing that happened in game one where he's just passing up wide open mid-range shots, which was supposed to be his bread and butter. And then you've got Jimmy Butler, who this kind of goes back to last year in the playoffs. I know that, the, the, that he ended up going to the finals, but a lot of people griped about him, you know, passing up wide open shots under the bucket to get players involved. That's part of, that, that's part of what makes Jimmy and, by the way, Bam – special in their roles and, and kind of gets Miami to click is the fact that they are so unselfish. The fact that they do play make so much for their teammates and get them involved, but sometimes they do need to pick their spots and maybe it needs to happen early, especially in a game like this where it starts to get away a little bit early, but talking about Spo's adjustments, uh, I thought it was notable that in the second half in a game where they gave up 21 offensive rebounds that we saw really for the first extended amount of time, Bam and Dwayne Denman playing together in the front court, I think yep. that's something we might see more of if the if the rebounding gets out of hand uh, in game three. I think we could see more of that front court because, quite frankly, they got to do something. Also, as far as more game three adjustments, Goran Dragic as the starting point guard seems like the right move, right? Yeah, I, I think I think both Deadman and Dragic will start in game three. Uh, I think. Oh, you think partly... Deadman will start? I think Deadman will come in early, but I don't know if he'll start. I think they'll try to like I... get out to a quick start, and if it's not working, then you put Deadman in. But you might be right. Maybe they just try to I slow mean, this I, thing down. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, you know, maybe 
challenging Lopez a little bit in the interior, keeping him as a legitimate post uh, mm-hmm. scoring threat for Miami. And so Brooke can't challenge the paint as effectively as he does. Obviously, you know, Miami's mid range game has been completely nullified by Milwaukee. And so maybe having a guy like Deadman who can cut to the basket or who can at least free himself up for an easy layup, yeah, at least he has the size. Right now, Miami has had no response. He, all of Miami's starters seem completely impacted by Lopez's sheer length. Like, they see this obstacle in the way there, and they just don't have any kind of natural rhythm, any ability to really just get their shot off the way that they have over the course of the regular season. And so I I think you have to have a guy like that. There's just no other options. There are no other bigs there. You trade away Kelly Olenek in order to acquire Victor Oladipo. You bring in Nemanja Bjelica, who played today, but only because they were already blown out. It didn't really matter. There's just not enough size on this Heat roster. They've kind of leaned into Bam Adebayo at the four. I'm sorry, at the center. But he might be naturally more suited for the four uh, just because he's not not particularly big. I I mean, he's just somewhat undersized in comparison to a guy like Lopez. And so that really shows up when you look at the rebounding disparity between the two teams. You take out Ariza from the starting lineup, start Deadman. And if if you did that, then I guess that frees up Jimmy Butler to maybe not guard Giannis. Because if you've got Deadman on Brooke Lopez, you could put Bam on Giannis and then maybe free up Jimmy Butler to do a few more things on offense as opposed to what he was doing before. Not that Jimmy was starting against Giannis, but he was getting switched on to him quite a bit. Um, yeah, all things that Spoh's going to have to figure out. Uh, the Nuggets may have taken control of a series against the Blazers. We'll talk about that next. This is Locked on NBA. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Research and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, cherry ice, citrus, and mint, and it's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, or on the go, or even in the gym. I've got a friend of mine who's trying to give up smoking. I can't wait to introduce him to Lucy Nicotine because I'm sure it'll be a great solution for him. It's 2021. If you're like my friend, you want to get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, or throw out your dip and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. So it's so simple. You don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Lucy lozenges and gums are also FSA and HSA eligible, so you can spend pre-tax dollars on them. Locked on NBA Network listeners, make sure you go to lucy.co and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to get 20% off all your products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA at checkout. Lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code LOCKEDONNBA. And also, I have to give this disclaimer, warning, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. With an ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the parts you might need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure pointless or indimitating questioning while the person behind a counter orders parts you're looking for on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You've got computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can choose from hundreds of manufacturers and their easy-to-use site, and you get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Why would you spend more for the exact same parts at a chain store? RockAuto.com's low prices are the same for everybody. So go to RockAuto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, then go to their How Did You Hear About Us section and enter Locked On so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. 
That's rockauto.com. The Nuggets tied up the series against the Trailblazers with a 128-109 win in Denver. Nikola Jokic finished with 38 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists. And I think the analysis of this game is pretty simple. Uh, Portland's defense just stinks, no? Yeah, uh, I mean... (laughs) They were kind of counting on it earlier in the season. A, reason, a big reason, if I recall correctly, that I, I thought Portland might be legitimate title contenders. And certainly towards the end of the season, it seemed like something clicked. At the very least, they just said, you know what, let's abandon the whole idea that we might be good defensively and just lean into our offense being so dominant that we can at least just get past any opponent. That has not been the case against a prolific offense like Denver and and certainly when you've got a guy like Nikola Jokic having 38 points on 15 and 20 shooting that's a that's a pretty dominant performance right there he's certainly the key performer of the night 53 percent shooting overall for Denver Denver shot well in game one I know they lost they shot well in game one but Portland just shot better in game one Portland has not stopped the Nuggets at any point in this series I don't think they will because I'm watching these games and I don't know maybe I thought that Look, Yusuf Nurkic fouling out at like the opening two minutes of the fourth quarter didn't help. Then the referees uh, officiating didn't help that. But I actually thought, you know, a lot of people were making a lot out of the refs because they did ruin the game in the third quarter uh, with their incessant whistling. But I thought that helped Portland more than it did Denver, right? It kind of slowed the game down a little bit, got Portland to the line a little bit more than I think they would have. And and they actually got the game within 10 points, I believe in the second half, that was because I think the refs kind of helped slow the game down a little bit. And that, and again, that favored the trailblazers where Denver was just rolling. Right. And uh, I also think for, for the nuggets defensively for them, uh, the decision to start the second half with Aaron Gordon guarding Damian Lillard was huge. I mean, Damian Lillard scored, took uh, made eight three pointers in that first half was just unbelievably on fire in that first half. And then they just shut him down. He hit one, three in all the second half. Uh, because Aaron Gordon and then later on they ended up putting uh, Morris, Monty Morris on him. So just a lot more length. Damian Lillard was seeing a lot more length. And I think that might be a uh, series tipping type of adjustment made by Michael Malone. And, uh, I, and, I, and I just don't know that Portland with that stinky, stinky defense can do anything about it because Nikola Jokic is going to be the MVP. And it feels like the only guy on that entire defense that can spend. I mean, look, you got you're playing Carmel Anthony a ton of minutes. We know the, the book on him defensively. You have the can't play canter factor, especially when Nurkic fouls out early. And Robert Covington seems like the only guy who does anything on defense. And if he doesn't get a, a hand on the ball and cause like some sort of deflection or steal or block, it feels like Portland gives up an easy basket. Yeah, I mean, two steals, two blocks for Covington on any other night. That seems like a pretty good stat line for him, but just not enough. I mean, if he's the only player on your roster contributing <laughs> yeah. to turnovers, that's not going to cut it. Uh, and look, uh, the Gordon acquisition, I mean, we talked about it when it was first done. This is the reason why you get him. I mean, certainly it changes the complexity of your team when you have Jamal Murray out there. But for a guy like Gordon, who's been pretty underrated as a solid defender and just doesn't have to have a dominant role the way he did with the Orlando Magic, this is exactly the role that he's best suited for as a guy you can just throw at multiple coverages with he's flexible enough he's played a three the four throughout his career he could probably play a little five he can guard one through five on occasion and that was pretty evident the way he limited uh, Lillard in the second half so it's a it's a really nice acquisition for him my, my question is like both of these series obviously they switch back to from from Portland at least they were able to get that game one when they steal one in Denver I don't know that anybody is looking at Denver or Portland as a legitimate contender, but do you think Portland has any chance of, of going back to Portland and 
getting some kind of home cooking there and evening the series up or not evening, but taking a, a demanding, a commanding lead over the nuggets I, in the series. Cause at this point, I think like, you're right. I think the nuggets have made the right transition, the right change. And that it really seems like they're going to probably be able to kind of just dominate moving forward. Yeah. First of all, the nuggets are a better team without, even without Jamal Murray. Uh, they play defense. Portland has a 29th ranked defense in the league. I don't want to count Damian Lillard out in the Rose garden ever. Right. Like he could just go off for 60 points. And I, I don't think anybody would be surprised. We'd be impressed, but not shocked by any stretch. And if that happens, then yeah, Portland probably wins that game. So I'm not going to count them out, but they just don't have the dudes to win a seven game series. Like I, there's no way that Portland wins this series in my mind. Their defense is awful and their offense yeah. isn't good enough to make up for it in the way that Brooklyn's is. Right. I mean, Brooklyn has basically three Damian Lillards and, and Portland has one. And CJ McCollum's fine, but, you know, if he's only giving you 21 points and you're only getting 15 from Norman Powell, then if you're supposed to be this great offensive team, then where's this great offense? Especially when Denver's defense is playing as well as it has, and they're making the right adjustments on that end. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what Terry Stotts can do. Um, Derek Jones Jr. was signed along and brought in yeah. with Robert Covington to sort of anchor this defense. He's out of the rotation. He played yep. five garbage time minutes. He's been out of the rotation for a long time for Portland. He has. I'm not very sure why he is, especially if, look, I understand the Carmelo Anthony factor. I get it. And he's been helpful at times, but if he's giving you 21 lousy minutes <laughs> that I don't really, and he's a minus 24, I don't really know why the, the hook isn't a little bit quicker on him. I don't know if it's a locker room thing. I don't know. If I, know I don't know if it's of a, a Dame, you know, he has Dame's respect or something like that. And Derek Jones Jr. Just flatly doesn't. Right. But I, I see no reason why not to put your better defenders out there. And yeah. and especially when like Rondé Hollis Jefferson is getting run before he is. It's just strange to me what this rotation is. Not that even if you not not saying that Derek Jones Jr. coming in is going to fix everything. I mean, I, I think that hardly is the case. He's a non-factor on offense. But it would be something if you need to get some juice on offense. If you trust Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum enough to do everything you want to do on offense, he can give you a little bit of juice on defense. But that's on Stotts, right? He has to find yeah. that right combination where he can find the right lineup to complement Derek's defense by throwing in enough offensive players in there so that there's not, not, not any kind of inequity there as far as the two sides of the ball. I mean, he, he was brought in specifically because of his incredible perimeter defense. He's long, he's lanky, he's athletic, he can break up passes, he can challenge guys from the wing there, uh, you know, shooters on the perimeter. And it just seems like he just didn't have a role. And and look, it's been such a big issue for him, you know, having covered him for a couple of seasons in Miami, having his confidence build up where he was a guy who was basically out of the league, given a chance to thrive in Miami. He found a nice role there. And then he signs in Portland and the thought process is, well, he's going to be contributed to a legitimate title contender. And then to have him be out of the lineup, I think his confidence is absolutely shut. Somebody needs to kind of step up there. And I know we've heard a lot of stories. Well, Nur Nurkic needs to step up. I think that's one of the guys. He had a good game one, Portland won. He had a really bad game too. Portland lost. And it, maybe it's not that simplistic, but I kind of, it might be right. Because we could talk about Derek, Derek Jones Jr. Isn't going to guard Jokic, right? Like maybe he's another body to throw at Michael Porter Jr., but he's not going to guard Jokic. And Ennis Cantor is just never expected to do anything on defense. I mean, they're just, Jokic is just shooting right over Cantor. He doesn't even care that Cantor is there. Uh, Nurkic can actually put a big body against Jokic and bother him in a way that maybe like Dwight Howard did last year's playoffs. Right. Um, that's the thing. He just, he can't foul out after 25 minutes. That would, that's the problem for them, uh, in game two. So other than, other than just their guys playing better and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, just getting on, uh, catching fire from three point range, 
I don't see a way that Portland wins the series. Maybe they get another game. They probably do. They probably take a game in Portland. I just don't see them winning the series. I don't, they just don't have the guys. Or not. The, and, and Denver is just the better team. I mean, Lillard's good for at least one more win. And just yeah. if they can get enough, if they can cobble enough of their rotation players to have a good complementary game to, to whatever inc- incredible scoring barrage he's going to give you on a nightly basis they might be able to take the series to seven i just at this point in time it looks like denver has made the right adjustments and they've got the right personnel there to challenge what portland can do offensively we'll take a look at tonight's playoff games next this is locked on nba bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action baseball season's in full swing you can track all the action at bet online but there is tons of sports action with the start of the new WNBA season, of course, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and so much more. So head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, or contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. All right, let's take a look at some of the playoff games, all the playoff games, actually, David, tonight. Uh, let's start with the Nets, the first game. The Nets will try to go up uh, 2-0 against the Celtics. David, what are you watching for in this game, too? Uh, to see if Boston has any kind of answer for Kevin Durant. I, I think that was the the, the key matchup there, and uh, I don't see that they will. Obviously, this is a team that's going through so many I- injury issues, and I just don't see a way they can legitimately challenge the, the, the Brooklyn Nets at this point, who look like they're every bit the contender so many, te- so many people expect them to be. So I, I, to me, this is probably an easy win for Brooklyn. I think they, they know that there's enough championship experience there between Durant and Kyrie, and I think that that team is coached well enough to understand what's at stake here. They'll probably go and dominate again, and Boston's just counting down the days until their offseason begins. <laughs> You're probably right. I was obviously impressed with what Jason Tatum has done. Him and Robert Williams have a nice pick-and-roll game. Uh, going on it's been and we saw that a little bit in game one um I think at, I'm, I'm what I'm looking for is to see if the Celtics can make Brooklyn defend at some point in the fourth quarter right that game game one was a little bit close in the second half um can can the Nets be tested early on because I think that'll actually be important for them they're in the tougher part of the bracket in the Eastern Conference um would they if they can get tested early I think that would actually be beneficial for them Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and the Celtics, like if Jason Tatum gets going uh, and, and, and maybe Kemba Walker starts to start uh, make threes and mid range shots and all that stuff that he does. I mean, they're, and, and given how bad Brooklyn's defense can be from, from most parts of a game, there is a world where this game is still close because both teams are, have scored 120 points by the end of the third quarter. Right. And uh, if, if Boston can just force Brooklyn to defend, that's what I'm looking at. I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying, if they, that's what I'm watching for. Can the Celtics force Brooklyn to just eke out two or three possessions where they just have to get stops? That's what I'm looking for. Cause quite frankly, we haven't seen it from Brooklyn at all this year when they have their three guys healthy. Um, let's move on to the Lakers at Phoenix. The Lakers dropped game one in Phoenix. Anthony Davis said he takes quote, full responsibility for the loss after scoring just 13 points on 16 shots in that game one loss. Uh, what can he or the Lakers do to get him going, David? 
I don't, I don't know if there's a, a clear answer to that. I mean, you have to credit Phoenix and their multiple defenders for challenging what Davis is. I, I think he just has to kind of remember who he is as a player. Like we've seen these moments from him periodically uh, throughout his, his just NBA career where he just kind of forgets that he's one of the more dominant athletes in the league and he just doesn't take charge the way he normally does. I mean, that's pretty simplistic, but it's also the nature of who AD is, is that he just doesn't always appear dominant out there despite the, the clear signs that he is. So yeah. I, I think it's all up to him. I, I mean, I, maybe you see it differently, but up to No, I think uh, you're right. I mean, you look at the shots he took. They're all from the perimeter right. in game one. I mean, this guy's seven feet tall. He has the dribble to get to the basket. When he's at his best, he's dunking and he's slashing and he's doing all these things. And then that opens up the three-point shot and all that other stuff. But that shouldn't be the only thing he's doing. And I think the Lakers – and by the way, I want to give credit to DeAndre Ayton. He played an awesome game. He outplayed Anthony Davis, who was arguably the best player in the playoffs last year. Yeah. Uh, so all credit goes to DeAndre Ayton, or, or, or a lot, I should say, goes to DeAndre Ayton and then the rest of Phoenix's defense that was just swarming. And they were out to play in game one. But I still do think that the Lakers are the better team when they're fully and rightfully engaged. And Anthony Davis, to your point, just didn't feel like he was. Like, there was no – where was that will to dominate that uh, some of these other guys have? And I'm not saying Anthony Davis doesn't have it because we've clearly seen it before – Right. But I don't know why it was wavering and why it has sort of wavered all year. My only guess would be that he's being played out of position at power forward, where he, instead of he's settling for perimeter jumpers because he's got Andre Drummond clogging the lane. And that was the whole thing with Marcus Saul signing him over the offseason was that he can help space the floor because he's got a legitimate three point shot. But he's out of the rotation basically at this point. And they're starting Drummond, who's not a floor spacer in any sense. And so maybe Anthony Davis is trying to provide some of that floor spacing because that's what you need next to LeBron. Well, what about this? Stop starting Andre Drummond. Don't even start <laughs> another center. Just put Anthony Davis at center. That's your best lineup. Start Kyle Kuzma power forward, LeBron, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Dennis Schroeder, and just go for it. We Everybody on the planet knows that that's your best lineup. That's the lineup that you're going to have to use to win the finals because the Lakers aren't going to just breeze their way to an NBA finals without using that lineup. They're going to have to break that glass at some point. Just do it now. You're playing the tops or you're playing the number two seed in the Western Conference. There's no reason not to do it now. Respect your opponent. Phoenix deserves it. They've earned that. And just play your best lineups. And that'll get Anthony Davis going. It'll get LeBron going. It'll get your best players on the floor. Why not do it? Yeah, I, I can't argue with any of that. I mean, that's an impassioned speech there. But you wonder whether or not Vogel's going to be able to make that adjustment. I, I just... At this point, what's the attachment to Drummond? Like, he just doesn't provide as much as you'd like him to, and that's been the case for most of his last few seasons. I just – I don't know why they're even putting him out there when clearly your best lineup is with AD. Uh, and, look, I, I feel like that change has to come. I, I also kind of feel like maybe the Lakers are just not necessarily playing possum because I don't think they're as good as they were last year. or They're not as much of a finished product as they were last year where they can afford to just take that one game back. We've seen this from LeBron throughout his whole career where he kind of just surveys the landscape of a series by just kind of looking at what happens in game one and, and then making the necessary internal adjustments that only he can really make. So I wonder how he's going to bounce back. We probably will expect, I mean, I, I, I'm i almost guaranteeing a dominant LeBron game in game two, but AD certainly needs to step up as well. You wonder if LeBron goes to Anthony Davis, because I don't know that LeBron, and maybe he would, but, I think he'd like to see Anthony Davis demand to play center. LeBron might have to have a conversation with AD, pull him aside. Hey, man, maybe you should start playing center. Maybe you should tell Frank about that. 
But I don't think LeBron would go straight to Vogel and say, hey, play Anthony Davis. Let's start Anthony Davis at center. Maybe he would if Anthony Davis doesn't respond the way he wants. But I think you want to – if you're LeBron, you want to see AD be like, you know what? I didn't play all of the – I didn't play a whole lot of games during the regular season. And when I did, I was playing power forward almost always. I don't play 10% of my minutes at center during the regular season. I can handle playing center for the entire playoffs. Let me do it. And that's what Anthony Davis needs to do. He needs to go to Vogel and say, let me do it. And you can still find minutes for Drummond and Montrose Harrell and Gasol if he's in the rotation that particular night. Off the bench, they could be backups when Anthony Davis is resting. That's fine. But you should start with your best lineups and get those guys going because everything revolves around LeBron and AD, and that's the best lineup for them. The Mavericks are up one nothing on the Clippers, and L.A. will try to get back on track tonight. Are you concerned at all about the Clippers staying poised in the playoffs, David? Yeah, I, I think we I think everybody is right. I, I just I, yeah. I haven't seen I haven't seen this Clipper team respond ever since they amassed the super team last year. They kind of fell apart last season. A lot of the blame went on Duck Rivers and maybe that was rightfully so. But it's starting to look more and more like maybe this group just doesn't have what it takes to figure out the kind of adjustments necessary. I, I don't know exactly how it works, but, you know, Paul George just wasn't really dominant in game one there. And then they kind of fall apart part towards the end and uh, you know you know that you, got, you know that Luca is going to have a dominant performance but somebody on the Clippers needs to be able to rise up to the occasion yeah I mean unfortunately Paul George is suffering from another bout of playoff P which is a negative thing now it's no you don't get to brand that as a positive thing when this is your playoff performance year after year and Kawhi is fine for Kawhi Nine of 22 in game one, one of six from three-point range. That's not exactly uh, taking over the game the way we've seen him in the past. And he hasn't really taken over the game all year, right? right? I just haven't seen that level of Kawhi. This guy who a couple years ago, coming off of that Toronto Finals, was going to the Clippers, as some people said, was the best player in the league. And he's just not even been close to that. He's been one of the best 10 players in the league. But he hasn't been close to that and since he left Toronto. And... Look, I know that on paper, the Clippers are really talented, arguably the most talented team in the league. I get that a lot of people think that they they look at that talent and say, why wouldn't you go to the finals? That everything is breaking right. Denver is injured. The Lakers are limping. Phoenix and, you know, do you really take them seriously? Utah is, is, hasn't had Donovan Mitchell, and that's a whole other thing. Uh, this is your chance, Clippers. Go get it. Yeah. Uh I, I just don't think that they're that – I don't think the roster is that well-conceived. I don't think well, that they – they Paul George and Kawhi play off of each other in any meaningful way that makes each other better. I don't right. know. I've just never been in on this Clippers team. And I and, and so, yeah, I to answer my own question, I am concerned. I have always been concerned since they came together. I don't, I don't like this Clippers team the way that they're put together. You've been pretty consistent about it, so kudos to you. But, I, I mean, and this is not particularly analytical or qualitative in any way, shape, or form, but it just seems to me like they lack emotional leadership. Uh, and maybe that's because of the nature of their superstar player. Like, their best player is clearly Kawhi. Yeah. But in Toronto, it was Kyle Lowry. In San Antonio, it was everybody but Kawhi. And so you could rely on that kind of emotional leadership. There's nobody on this roster to tell Kawhi to get his head out of his you-know-where and, and, and Paul Pierce to do the same and to focus on what's necessary and to lock down and assure your team. Well, wasn't that supposed to be Ty Lue? <laughs> well, it's got a little hard to do from the, the sidelines. Like you need somebody. But that's out why there they hired him, though, right? I think I, I think you're right. No, I, you're absolutely right. But that was the point in the hiring of the dismissal of Doc Rivers and the hiring of Ty Lue. Uh, also, the Mavericks are really good. Like Luka Doncic was unstoppable in Game One. Kristaps Porzingis looks healthy, which is a huge swing in the series. 
right? Because right. if he's going and he's able to space the floor and he's able to do stuff the way he was able to do stuff in game one, that's a that's a game changer for, for Dallas. And Tim Hardaway Jr. is going. And, like, that's a team that's hot. Offensively, they're really good. Defensively, everything changes when you got Porzingis playing the way that he did. Uh, Maxi Kleber did a nice job against Kawhi, uh, as he has basically for some reason. He's somehow the Kawhi stopper uh, throughout his, you know, this season and last season. So um, the Mavericks are really good and the Clippers can't play with their food here. Uh, not that the Mavericks are food, but the Clippers are, are, should be in our favorites and the Mavericks right now are up one, nothing. And I don't trust the Clippers if they go down to nothing to respond the way that they would need to respond in Dallas for games three and four. I don't see that. happening. I'm glad, they chose I'm glad you brought up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Mavericks, too, because I, I feel like that's something that we're all guilty of at times. Like, we, it's easy to point to, like, the failings of a team like Miami or the Clippers, et cetera, or even the Lakers, but without giving credit to the teams that were actually able to dominate them. And Dallas certainly deserves their flowers. They've had a, a great season. They've really pulled it together over the last couple of months of the year, and they look like to be a, a pretty tough, tough challenge. They're, they're definitely not going to be an easy out in the West Conference playoffs. Well, that's an easy out for us. That'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts for 30 minutes of the NBA's top stories every day. We'll be back here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find me at Locked on Warriors and David over at Locked on Heat. Now get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked on Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport to help our local experts. Follow the Locked on Today podcast on the Odyssey app wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening.